Well, Ben, have you ever heard of um, World War Two? You know, I think we should start the show. Oh, you see, this is one of my frustrations. Working about our show? Well, just working with you is <laughs> uh, you're insistent on, you know, doing things by the book. Right. I am a very materialistic person, and books are material. Right. So I tend to go buy the material in the books. Yeah. Out of <laughs> my materialistic nature. You're just a consumer. Pretty much. I feel like the first couple minutes of the show is always an exercise in getting people to stop listening before... Before it's too late. Before it's too late. So we kind of like, you know, I like to front load it with the most offensive stuff. And then uh, they just go ahead and save themselves the yeah. uh, the trauma of listening to the next 20, 30 minutes. Where's David when you need him? But anyway, this podcast. This is Obscurigami. Yes. And the I'm, only one in the I'm world. your host, Thomas. I'm not your host, but I'm a host. <laughs> I don't I'm, like to think of myself as yours. I'm the, the creator, founder, and hoster of the Obscurigami podcast, Obscurigami.com, Thomas Fisher. Thomas Flake, excuse me. <clears throat> Can't say your last name on the internet. Yeah. And I'm Ben. And I'm here, depending on where you're listening to this. Ben, ben, ben is technically also the co-founder, creator, and author of, uh, but I would of say the you're Academy Award winning podcast. I don't know if I'm the In terms of... Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's well when we have to divide up the the subscribers. Right. If it's an odd number, I'll take the extra one. In the divorce, I think you'll probably get the dog. <laughs> All right. Um, so what do we what do we have cooking today? Okay. So, a little pop quiz. Do you know where the only land battle that was fought on U.S. territory? during World War II took place. I would assume the Philippines or somewhere uh, like that. I should specify use... incorporated U.S. territory. I don't In- know that that's actually going to like help you get the answer, but I'm just saying. Meaning there may the have been, lower 48? There may have been. Um, it, it, happened, it happened in incorporated United States of America territory. There was one land battle. I do not know the answer to this question. Well, good. Because if you had, then I would have been like, maybe it's not very obscure. But it's mildly obscure. Not many people know about it. A battle happened there, and I'm going to talk about the place, also the battle by proxy. Um, but it's Atu Island in Alaska. Atu Island. Atu Island is part of the Aleutian Islands. Um, How do you spell Atu? Atu is spelled A-T-T-U. A-T-T-U. A-T-T-U, yes, and if you imagine, if you're, you know, imagining a map of Alaska in your mind, that kind of little peninsula, that tail of islands that kind of, like, mm-hmm. come out off of the peninsula, Atu is the westernmost island. Atu, it's the westernmost, and it is the largest island of the near island group of the Aleutian Islands, which is the name of that mm-hmm. um, group there. And uh, it's the westernmost point of land in the United States relative to Alaska. Wow. Um, as I already mentioned, the only World War II land battle fought on U.S. incorporated territory happened there. 
the next island to the west of Attu Island is uh, a, the Russian Commander Islands. It's just 208 miles away. Hmm. But Attu is nearly 1,000 miles from Alaskan mainland. Um, oh, wow. And it is... Do people s- live on Attu? People, yes. Well, not currently. Um, okay. It's currently uninhabited. H- how big is it? It is the 23rd largest island in the U.S. So it's actually quite big. It's 344 square miles. Okay. So it's not huge. There are no native trees on it. If you look at pictures of it, it's mostly kind of like small mountainy hills. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's usually patchy snow a lot of months of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it basically has, from what I've determined, probably the worst weather anywhere. Uh, it's <laughs> anywhere mostly in the rainy, universe. foggy, cloudy, and only has about eight or ten clear sunny days a year. Wow. The only trees on the island were ones that were planted there in 1943 uh, around a chapel. A 2010 census had the population at 10, but all those people lived at a Coast Guard station that has that closed in 2010, um, and ah, it's been uninhabited since, since that then. time. It was first discovered, not f- originally discovered, obviously, because there was pe- natives there, but first discovered by kind of Western countries in... Uh, you say native peoples. Were there actually native peoples that lived on Attu? Yeah, so when when it was discovered by Russian merchants, Russian traders, discovery was in 1742. There were about 150 to 200 people living on the island, um, native Aleuts. And there's, there's people who live throughout the Aleutian Islands on the chain of islands. That right, come part of the same people group. Yeah. So it wasn't like there was one isolated people group that lived there, right. or like one tribe. It was more like there was a group of lots of people that inhabited the islands, kind of like the Polynesians. Right, right. And uh, so there would have been people who lived um, there when it was found, like I said, 150, 200 people. Um, but archaeology shows that there may have been 20 times that at some point. So oh, several wow. thousand people may have lived on the island kind of at most. Hmm. Um, in, in history. Russian, a- after the discovery in the 1700s, the Russian traders would kind of stay there for a while, hunting sea otters, mainly it seemed like. And then they kind of left eventually. Mm-hmm. And the Aleutians were the primary inhabitants until June 7th, 1942, six months after the U.S. joined the war. And the 301st Independent Infantry Battalion of Japanese Northern Army landed on the island without opposition. So there was, in 1942, there was about 42, there was 45 native Aleuts and Aleutians and two Americans living on the island. The two Americans were, uh, have their names here, uh, Charles Foster Jones and his wife, Etta. And they were they were there on kind of a on a teaching assignment. I'm assuming by the government. I wasn't really able to determine through what organization, but they had been through several to several locations throughout Alaska to native villages teaching. They ended up in 
Attu was their last stop. They were there, and Japan descended on on the island and kind of overtook them. All 45 natives and the two Americans ended up being taken out to Japanese POW camps where uh, quite a few of them died. Uh, I think 12 died, and they were held there till the end of the war. But it was it was an interesting um, movement. The Japanese intended to hold portions of the island because they were afraid they were would be used um, tactically by the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. was kind of not really paying attention to what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, had nobody on the islands. What was the distance? You said it was like two hundred miles from the nearest Russian island. 200 miles from the near from the nearest Russian island. I'm not sure what the distance would be from Japan um, or the Japanese islands, but I know they had occupancy of some nearby islands. Right. And it, it couldn't have been that far um, based on some things that I'll get to right. uh, in a second. But um, would it... I, I assume because of its size, it wasn't really feasible to set up a base. There actually were bases established there, including mm-hmm. a runway later. The U.S. established kind of an air base there. Okay. Um, so it, it wasn't, I mean, it was definitely usable as a strategic point. The U.S. didn't seem to have any plan of doing that. Uh, but once the Japanese moved in there, they immediately, the U.S. kind of, realized what was going on they evacuated over 800 people from the rest of the Aleutian islands and moved them off to civilian camps mm-hmm. in mainland the peninsula of uh, alaska a lot of those people actually ended up dying as well just from like sickness and it was kind of bad from being transferred to a conditions new environment. yeah just being there was uh was there very poor government housing um, I don't know that it was necessarily like, I didn't research that too heavily. I don't mm-hmm. know that it was necessarily like uh, neglect or negligence so much as just like the, you know, a lot of these people were natives who had lived on the islands and then they were kind of like crammed together into this, uh, into these camps. And so disease and um, stuff like that was a lot more, yeah. more became kind of prevalent Uh uh, yeah, I think it was just rougher, rougher conditions. So the Japanese had a few objectives in attempting to take the island. They were hoping to break up any of existing of offensives that were there. Turned out there weren't any. They also wanted to kind of put a little barrier there mm-hmm. between the U.S. and Russia and just so that those islands yeah. couldn't be used. And then right. they also wanted to establish a base that they could later use. Yeah. for offensives against the U.S. Because Russia and Japan at this time were not particularly friendly either. Right. Yeah. Uh, did the So one of their objectives was not to try and conquer mainland Alaska then. Um, that's unclear. Right. Um, Maybe long term. Yeah. But it, there was it no may like, have been, direct. But yeah, it, it, was, it was definitely a move towards, you know, establishing... They meant to establish a base there that they could have used then right. for air attacks later on. Right. Um, so I think it was a step in that direction. They don't get very far, though, because the U.S. was able to halt any reinforcements coming to the area. Mm-hmm. They used 
air naval attacks to target any reinforcements or supplies that were coming to the island. And eventually the Japanese were forced to use only submarines to resupply uh, Mm. to avoid interception. And um, so they weren't able to reinforce the existing troops there. And I believe they had had about uh, several thousand, over 2,500 people roughly or the uh, the initial garrison was 500 and then through reinforcements they raised it up to over 2000 wow. um, as of March 10th in 1943 so they they kind of dug in there and established a little a little base in the bay mm-hmm. and and had a ga- garrison the US was able to kind of cut things off and um, and they made an attempt in May of 1943 to take it back they moved a bunch of troops onto the island, but conditions were so terrible. It was very cold, and there was a lot of frostbite, and it was just pretty bad. They lost a lot of people just to the conditions itself mm-hmm. without... Yeah. The Japanese kind of moved up into the hills, holed up in caves and little encampments and trenches and stuff, and created these booby traps, and it was just kind of this incredibly uh, messy situation where they were kind of dug in there against each other. About how many troops did there you were, say um, the U.S. put 3, in? 3,992... Uh, wait, hold on. There ended up being in that initial... It lists how many U.S. casualties there were, but not how many uh, how many troops they landed. 17th Infantry, the 7th Infantry Division made amphibious landings. It does not say how many i'm sure someone could figure that out it's interesting that they chose to land troops as opposed to just striking at them from the air right it seems like because there had, were no natives there they yeah and they had pretty... total air power since the japanese weren't able to supply drop yeah so i would think they would just try to bomb it but maybe the terrain the terrain might have made it difficult i mean it's also it, it was also a pretty good number of Japanese kind of scattered throughout the island as a whole and a target of 230-some square miles, you know, is a pretty large area to try to hit if you can't see Specified. see where people yeah. are and they're kind of scattered about and yeah. dug in. Um, and I think, I think they realized once the Japanese were trying to take the area, the U.S., decided to establish itself there so they didn't want to just you know push back they also wanted to establish establish control so the initial the initial fighting was pretty brutal there were 3,929 U.S. casualties casualties including injuries there was 1,200 injuries just from the severe cold 600 just from disease and then there was like 318 this is U.S. that died or that were injured or died from booby traps and friendly fire. So it was just this big mess of a, a battle. The Japanese were assembling a fleet in Tokyo Bay to send up to kind of reinforce and help with this battle. They had like four carriers, three battleships and 11 destroyers and some other sundry uh stuff so they were like quite serious about trying to make this happen um but before they were able to do that the u.s 
kind of pushed the remaining Japanese soldiers up into a corner and were able to kind of take the bay area that that they had been holding. The Japanese garrison had only managed to really like hold a bay. Still a few thousand of them left. They kind of pushed them back into a corner, managed to take the bay. And the uh, Japanese general, I won't say general, colonel, he led the largest bonsai attack of the Pacific Theater. And um, they rushed down onto the the, uh, U.S. forces and they penetrated so far in that they... There was like army officers in tents at the back of, at like the rear of the encampment that were like suddenly surprised by Japanese soldiers like upon them. And there was a lot of hand-to-hand combat Mm -hmm. um, and only 28 Japanese soldiers were taken prisoner and there were 2,351 casualties, quite a few U.S. casualties as well yeah that's typical of the japanese yeah. in the pacific theater after that uh the the remaining japanese any japanese forces that were still on the island who had not been involved in the attack evacuated or retreated onto a neighboring island that the japanese had also taken hold of that wasn't under u.s there were <laughs> it wasn't occupied prior to the japanese occupation of uh oh yeah kiska and they just kind of emptied out of Atu. And the, the U.S. just at that point kind of moved in. And they set up their garrison, set up camp, and kind of camped there for the rest of the uh, rest of the war. And eventually built an airstrip. And mm-hmm. um, it would later become a Coast Guard. There, w- there would be a, a Navy town and an airfield there for quite a while. That would eventually become the Coast Guard station that eventually closed. At this point, it's a mostly a wildlife preserve, um, but a lot of the island is kind of like, just like covered in this, uh, it's kind of a, because it has so few inhabitants, there's so little activity on it. A lot of it is still kind of scarred and covered with the remnants of the fight, the battle and the war, or the, the battle that took place there. There's just like downed planes and like old, uh, just a lot of the uh, debris of battle. Debris of battle is still there. Was never cleaned up, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so it's starting to like in the last few years. A lot of the um, remnants of war, relics of war from World War II, are just starting to kind of be considered of like significant historical value or like mm-hmm. worth saving. All that stuff previously had just been left untouched because nobody had a reason to do anything about it but now it's kind of starting to move into the realm of like wanting to be preserved for yeah potential historic uh i would think purposes. that the severe weather particularly a lot of rain and snow whatnot would uh would deteriorate the debris and the remains faster right yeah i mean i don't think anything's in in great condition right but, uh, but, but still preserved right but it's still fairly preserved or at least it's just preserved in the sense of stuff is degrading, but nobody's touched it. Right. And, you yeah. know, since it was left there however yeah. many years ago. That's uh, fascinating. A lot of times. None, none of the natives who were taken as POWs or the two Americans ever returned to the island. It seems no non-military inhabitants or Coast Guard inhabitants uh, ever lived there hmm. after the war. So the war kind of 
ended its uh, time as a civilian occupied place. The only building that existed there prior to the war, there was a um, Orthodox church that was built there, which is where the uh, trees were planted. That is like one of the only buildings that predated the predated the war. So it's just kind of this interesting place where it's like very few people, like less than 200 people kind of lived on this island for years and years and years. And then one day the Japanese come out of the hills, sweep everyone up, send them off to a POW camp. It becomes, you know, for the space of a year and a half, this site of a just bloody like battle. Yeah. Becomes a military base where a few people live for the next century almost and then just turns into a wildlife refuge i had never heard of the battle or like uh in reading about it there's a few documentaries made about it there's some old like newsreels with Mm -hmm. actual footage of some of the fighting and troop movement and stuff that took place Mm -hmm. on the island that's pretty interesting to watch but it's one of the elements of the you know united states uh involvement in world war ii that's fairly glossed over or uh, mm-hmm. or forgotten despite being like people have described it as like Gettysburg type of like bloodshed mm-hmm. it's the bloodiest battle that's happened on American soil since the Civil War yeah um, yeah it's an interesting but I guess uh, yeah that's fascinating I guess because it's barely American soil right I mean it's it's, it's li- about as far out a, as you can it's, get it's the most the westernmost point it's the westernmost point yeah it's not the westernmost there's a weird thing where it's more eastern on in time zone mm-hmm. um, than I think Hawaii, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's one of the it's the westernmost point. I mean, it's much further. It's like five, six or seven thousand miles from Washington D.C. So like, <laughs> just in terms of like distance, it's, yeah, you know, it's pretty far. One out of there. the most remote locations of the U.S. you could go to on a on a clear day. Can you look out to the west and see the Russian island that's about 200 miles away? That would be would pretty imagine, impressive. I don't know. I don't know. It probably depends on what the terrain of the right. Russian and island is. And then my my follow-up question would be, does Sarah Palin have a house on Attu? <laughs> not, not that we're aware of. Attu has been hailed as the um, a bird-watching holy grail uh, uh, of North America. Because it has so many species of bird that aren't anywhere else in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a while, the competitive bird watching, which now that I say that might be a good follow-up topic, um, <laughs> the competitive bird watching record holder, uh, the idea being see as many different, they would try to see as many different species of bird in uh-huh. like a s- several day period, a short period of time. As oh, wow. possible and <laughs> that was a sport that i did not know existed yeah the record for that was held by a guy who had the record on at two right and when they kind of shut it down and people couldn't really get there for for a while they thought that that record wouldn't be able to be beaten by someone in north america it was later beaten by someone else in a different location mm-hmm. um but i thought that was an interesting bit yeah of, i wonder how how well documented it was his victory it's He's out there apparently a two is is pretty it's not obscure among the, the competitive bird watching community oh of course um, wikipedia noted that there was a, a movie 
uh, about bird watching was some A-list actor or somebody in it, B-list actor, mm-hmm. where they go to a two mm-hmm. in the movie to know. watch birds. So apparently, it's it's fairly well known in the, the bird watching. Was it filmed community. on location? I don't think so. Yeah, I imagine you know flying a thousand miles off the coast of yes Alaska for some. S- snowy mushy snowy mountains the the weather literally you look at like the chart for like the average yeah and like the record high is like 72 uh-huh. in like the dead of summer mm-hmm. and the average throughout the summer is like 40 to like 46 to like 50 degrees uh-huh. through the winter it's it's like 20 to like 30 some degrees and so it just yeah. kind of and it just like precipitates like 170 days out of the year yeah and it just kind of constantly like stays in that range of like just cold enough for there to be snowfall and mm-hmm. then there's rain and then <laughs> snowfall <laughs> and then you get like three summer months yeah where it's like but it's not extreme enough to like draw like the the people who are drawn to areas where it's sub-zero temperatures right it's not extreme weather it's not it's just not it's, it's just, just bad like weather if you just imagine like the kind of weather that that makes people like ugh, like you don't want to get out of bed because it's just like it's like soggy or mm-hmm. like just like gross or like overcast and like yeah muggy like that's what the weather it's is kind like of like that too extreme seattle or extreme london yeah that kind of drizzle constant never-ending yeah wetness atu is is one of ten thousand formerly used defense sites in the nation and the department of defense has about 250 million each year that they use to kind of slowly clean up some of the 2700 sites that need cleaning wow um i just thought that was an interesting statistic that i came across the <laughs> dod spends 250 million a year just kind of like slowly mopping up some of its mess it's <laughs> 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 left scattered throughout the nation <laughs> wow sounds uh fiscally responsible the story of the two non-natives who were taken to the the pow camps are pretty interesting there's a book of letters um, from Etta Jones to one of her relations in mm-hmm. America. I take it they were not among the 12 that died? No, they survived. Uh-huh. And the reports are the por- the reports are pretty f- kindly towards the Japanese. All the, the natives and the Americans felt like they were treated pretty fairly and nicely. They, they were interesting. The, the conditions were bad in the POW camps because they were just bad. In, in the area at the, the time, area that they were there in, was, yeah. you know, shortages of food. And, but there were no reports and supplies. of torture. And... Yeah, there were shortages of food and supplies, but they said, you know, that everyone was short on you right. know, food and supplies. So it was traumatizing for them to be removed to a POW camp for three years, but it wasn't anywhere. Was kinda, the POW camp, I assume, somewhere kind of far away? It was in Japan. Oh, gotcha. Yeah reading historical kind of neutral historical accounts of the battle Mm -hmm. um kind of gave me one impression and then when i stumbled across the uh newsreels and some of the the footage that came back through the u.s military it was really interesting 
to see like how proper propaganda propagandistic it was they show some of the kind of the harsh conditions mm-hmm. um but things are painted in like a fairly positive light like the u.s was doing pretty well there right and which i guess ultimately they were but that all i mean ultimately the, they the, were successful but i'm when you're looking at life like ratio to the 300 people dying from like friendly fire and booby traps yeah well not dying the yeah, the loss of life ratio was definitely a lot lower than the Japanese, but yeah. Uh, well, also to the, the strategic ratio, the ratio to the strategic nature of the island. Right. Yeah. Like it wasn't that valuable strategically. Yeah. It would have been significant had the Japanese been able to hold position of it, but for the U.S. to have it mm-hmm. was, you know, not that big of a deal. They were mostly right. a cork in the bottle of the Japanese potentially ever being there. Right. Again in the future. The Battle of Attu and Attu Island. That's what I got. Bravo, sir. Good topic. Not an easy one. That covered a lot yeah. of ground. Uh, if you, yeah, if you search it on YouTube, there's some, there's some documentaries. And uh, there's a video I found from the um, Alaskan National Park and Wildlife Service of some kind of dedication of some plaques that they put up on the island in 2013 to commemorate the... Uh, battle memorialize yeah. the battle um didn't the uh coast guard base leave in 2010 yes so yeah. uh who looks at the plaques it's a good question that is a very good question <laughs> yeah my my first like my my initial reaction when i heard about this place was like oh i'd love like yeah I'd love i want to go. go there there's some like because there's some kind of weird like there would be some kind of weird sense of achievement and mm-hmm. like going to the point of the u of the united states incorporated territory that's like the furthest from yeah basically anything yeah everything else but it's so far out yeah you, but uh you almost can't and even. they they um they only really go there by like boat because right. the airstrip isn't really maintained gotcha so uh, well why would you maintain it if right. there's nobody there yeah. So I guess the National Park Service is going there. I mean, people have to, the Department of Defense has to kind of like take their mops out there and like spend a couple thousand dollars. I saw pictures and people were talking about how like you can walk to different areas in the island and there's, there's actually like you can step on the ground and there's like oil that'll like come out Hmm. from the battle. It's just like so in the environment from all the leftovers. Hmm. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's that, once again, it's that time of year. The winds and the rains and the snows of Attu are pounding against your little tent, and you've zipped shut the tent door. The tent fly. And you're kind of cuddled up in the corner trying to get some warmth. And what is, what can comfort you but the random Wikipedia article section of this podcast? Critics have rated it the worst reoccurring uh, segment on a podcast, 2017. Certified Rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. Academy Award winning then losing podcast segment. Raspberry Award winning. Part of the show where we click on the random article button on Wikipedia and see what happens. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do that now. Are you ready, Thomas? Indeed. Here we go. Today's Wikipedia article is 
Laurent Bave. This is a good one. It's very short. You want to do us the honors, Ben, and go ahead and just read this article? <laughs> I, I will actually read the whole article for you. Laurent Bave, born 1972, is a Belgian Egyptologist who has been director of the Institut Francais d'Archéologie Orientale since June 2015. Glad we could uh, mispronounce something there. I think the real question here is, what is an Egyptologist? Someone who studies Egypt, specifically ancient Egypt, the science being a branch of archaeology. Don't really know what I expected. <laughs> that, uh, that does it's a little on stand the nose. to reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this Wikipedia article is a stub. You can help Wikipedia by expanding it. For example, you could tell us a little bit more about Laurent Bave. You could tell us what some of his favorite foods are, what if his you, favorite color is. Ben, if, if people wanted to email us information about, about Laurent Bave so that we could add it to Wikipedia and take the credit, how would they email us? Probably they would send an email to our email address, obscuragami at gmail.com. Sounds reasonable. You can also go to obscuragami.com for show notes and uh, subscription links and other various and sundry other episodes. Look at pictures of Atu Island. Yeah, we'll throw a couple uh, couple in there. Maybe one of Lawrence Bave if we can... Uh, can swing Laurent, it. Excuse me, Laurent. Laurent. He looks like quite an enthusiastic character. Egyptologist. I wonder if there's other um, tologists like, uh, you know... Do you have like an Englandologist, mm-hmm. a Atuologist, an Atuologist, which I believe you now are because yeah. you've studied the island of I've Atu. Studied the island quite a bit in depth. He has an IMDb page. He plays himself in a documentary. Japanologist. He has a LinkedIn page. Russianologist. Probably a. a oh no, this isn't the same Laurent Bave. Hungarianologist. Pardon me, Laurent Bave. Of uh, the oil and gas industry, I apologize. It Italyologist. Was, it was your LinkedIn page that I referred to on this podcast. If you're listening, I apologize for getting you confused with Laurent Bave of Egyptology fame. Madagascarologist. 